We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. Hello, Bears fans, and welcome into another edition of the Bear Report podcast, a special edition with OTAs getting underway at Hallis Hall. The Bears just completed their first week, first three of 10 practices for OTAs. I'm your host, Zach Pearson. I am joined, as always, by co-host Aaron Lemming. Aaron, man, how you been doing? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Just uh, getting closer to football season. I read something the other day where we're I can't even remember what the what the it was like halfway through the off season technically right now or I think like a day or two ago so I mean we're getting getting closer and at least when training camp hits then we all know that football season's around the corner and you know we can at least enjoy preseason or try to enjoy preseason for a few games before the regular season starts so it's getting close. Yeah, I saw somewhere we're like a hundred days away from college football. Well, just under a hundred now. Um, yeah, that means what we got to be around a hundred days until close to a hundred days to kick off for. Um, Bears and Packers early September on Thursday night. So yeah, like you said, football is just around the corner. I'm not really shocked that we're halfway done with uh, the off season. I always say, you know, going into the off season, I'm like, man, it's gonna be boring and dragged out. But you know, now it's pretty much summer with Memorial Day happening this weekend. Before you know it, uh, the Bears will be in Bourbon A for training camp. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be. Uh, I mean, it's gonna be interesting. I don't know what you've noticed, but it seems like a lot of people, national people, people, you know, that aren't covering the bears seem to be a lot lower on the bears and than a lot of us are. So I, I guess, I guess it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I mean, I think the bears are going to be a really good team, but it seems like they've been kind of the team that everybody's been crapping on lately. Yeah. Last year, it was kind of weird because going into the season, you know, a lot of people predicted the bears were going to be that team to kind of turn it around. I think there's a stat that at least one NFL team has like, 
gone from worst to first in like I think it was a five or six year span. Now everyone picked the bear. A lot of people picked the Bears last year. Now you know it's kind of the opposite. It's kind of like the Bears aren't getting that respect and um, it's still kind of you know early in the off season and ways to go for the regular season. But I've, I've I'm with you. I see a lot of national media members kind of you know take shots at the bears and digs at the bears and and in their predictions pick them to not make the playoffs and ha- and you'll have a bad year i think i saw one today i can't remember the outlet but i saw one they had the bears finishing 11th in the uh nfc and the saints finishing 10th yeah i saw that i don't know i can't remember who posted that it was something off of like reddit or something or maybe instagram where yeah that was that that was terrible they had like the I think the Lions are going to be the fourth best team in the NFC or something. Yeah, I wouldn't even pay attention to any of that stuff just because that's just terrible. Yeah, that was weird. And then like the Seahawks being the number one team in the NFC, it was it was bad. Anyway, um, yeah, we have a decent sized show today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the Bears 100 list that's being released ahead of their 100 celebration. There's been a little, uh, not a little. There's actually been a lot of debate um, throughout Twitter and even saw some in some Facebook groups. And then we'll go over, uh, you know, OTAs, the first open media session of OTAs for the Bears this year um, was hosted on Wednesday at Hallis Hall. It's our first chance to talk to the players, all the vets, all the return returning players, the coaches, um, a little bit of the coaching staff. And uh, I'll kind of break down what I saw. And I'll, we'll also get Aaron's thoughts on what he heard from the press conferences and um, what he expects moving forward. Before we get into all that, though, let's hit our first break. We'll be right back to talk a little more um, Bears football. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And welcome back into the Bear Report podcast. Yeah, Aaron, uh, let's kind of get into this Bears 100 list. Um, so the Bears are releasing a scrapbook for 100 years of Bears football ahead of their 100-year celebration in the beginning of June at um, in Rosemont with a huge convention. And it's veteran writer Dan Pompey and Don Pearson have put together this list of the top 100 Bears of all time. Now... When you think of this list, you know, you probably think of coaches, you know, George House, who found, founded the team, things like that. It's supposed to be players. That's how I understood the list. Um, that's why, you know, someone like George House isn't in the top five and, you know, and instead was ranked, I believe he was like 30-something. Um, yeah, he was in the 30s or, or 20s, whatever it was, um, and not in the top five. But kind of going through this list and looking through, I you know I kind of noted a few um, players that I thought should have been ranked a little higher, maybe some that should have been ranked a little lower. The first one right away that when they first released the list, they released in four parts, twenty-five players on each list. Jay Cutler was number eighty-four or eighty-five, I'm sorry, and ahead of him was Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey. Right away, that just kind of didn't. I don't know. It didn't really sit well with me. I, whether you hate color or like color, don't like his personality, or whatever, you can't tell me that he should be 85th overall on this list. Yeah, that's definitely a little bit of a stretch. And and obviously, <clears throat> the thing we kind of have to keep in mind here is the people who made that list have 
dealt with him within the media and stuff like that. So I'm sure there could be, it's like the hall of fame vote sometimes with TO stuff like that. Like there's, there's sometimes there's some bias that they allow the personality and their personal feelings to get in the way of the list. And I see my overall thoughts on this list would be this. I, I really haven't looked at it all that much, but my overall thoughts on the list would be, it's really hard to sit there and rank when you're talking about a team that's been around for a hundred years. It's really hard to sit there and rank guys from different generations. Cause we're talking, I mean, if we're talking right now, you know, if we're talking or even guys like Brian Erlacher, I mean, just current players within the last 15, 20 years. I mean, any of those guys are going to be absolutely athletics, athletically superior they're going to be much better athletes, and overall they're going to be much better players than anybody playing in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, anything like that. So it's it's kind of one of those things, at least for me. Again, I really haven't looked at the list all that much, but it's kind of hard to balance the two together and and really come out with something. That's why the the debate whether Jay Cutler is the you know, best quarterback in Chicago Bears history is one of those where you could argue one way or another, but I don't really think there's a definitive answer. You know, I, I think Luckman's obviously up there. He played in a different era uh, where where numbers really weren't that big, but it's, I don't know. I, I think you have an argument for a lot of these guys. And again, I really haven't looked at the list, but I've, I have a feeling that as we go through some of this stuff, there's going to be some ones that a lot of people are either going to disagree with or agree with, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of disagreement throughout the list. Yeah, there's been a lot of disagreement I saw on Twitter. The, the main one, that's why I brought up Cutler, was because, I mean, even people I've seen that have trashed Jay Cutler, not fans of Jay Cutler, even saying, yeah, he's got to be a little higher on this list. Um, the other one, the part that was released today, um, it was like 24 through 1. The one that really, the two actually that kind of shocked me right away, um, linebackers Mike Singletary and Brian Erlacher. Singletary was 15th, Erlacher was 14th. I don't see a list you know, where Brian Erlocker isn't a top 10 player um, it, for this franchise. I can I could see Singletary being outside of the top 10. Um, Erlocker, a guy who came in and kind of revolutionized the middle linebacker position to what it is today along with, you know, someone like Ray Lewis. We saw them both go into the Hall of Fame last year together. It's just kind of mind-boggling that Erlocker would be behind, you know, you got players like, um, in front of them, players in front of them, um, Richard Dent, I could obviously see. Um, I think there's a case for Dan Hampton. Um, Danny Fortman was number 10. Doug Atkins was number 9. Bulldog Turner, 8. Bill George, 7. I think George is kind of properly placed. Mike Dick, a 6th. Um, and then the top five I really didn't have a problem with. But I just don't see how you can't put Erlocker in that top 10. And it kind of goes back to your point because these different eras. You look at the guys, some of, the, some of these guys in the top 10, Danny Fortman, Doug Atkins, Bulldog Turner, Bill George, Mike Ditka, all playing different eras, eras than Brian Erlocker. Same with um, Jimbo Cur- Covert and um, Richard Denton, Dan Hampton. You know, with the last three I just mentioned, kind of more closer to the era of Erlocker than those other guys. I just, I, do you think Erlocker should have been higher? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at when you think of Bears history and when you look at Bears history, the two things that really stand out, at least for me, have always been linebackers and running backs. So I mean, even if you've got a lopsided, uh, you know, top ten with running backs and linebackers and everything else, I mean, I think that's kind of what you got to do. But yeah, it, again, man, it just kind of goes back to the you know, depending on who you have. I know Dan Pompey uh, was a part of this, you know, and depending on who you have, I mean, it's it's one of those situations where sometimes people lean towards the modern day stuff and other people lean towards the historic stuff. But I mean, if you're putting these guys out, on, obviously there's no way to do it. But if you put these guys out on the football field at the same time, I mean, it's not even it's not even arguable who would be 
superior, better player, but that's just because of the generations. People are much bigger, much faster, everything now. So it's, I mean, I guess it's interesting and it's definitely got Bears fans talking. Uh, but in terms of, you know, lists like that, they're always somewhat subjective. Yeah, and that kind of brings us to my final point on this list. Um, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it. It's kind of an easy one to discuss here. There was a couple current players on this list. Um, Cleo Mack was number 60 overall on this list. Only played 14 games um, so far as a Bear. Kyle Long, 74th. Akeem Hicks, 75th. Uh, I believe Eddie Jackson was 96th. I want to say those were the only um, current players that are still playing on this list. For me, if I was doing – obviously, it's not my list. Um, I wasn't asked to do this, so take that for what it's worth. But if I'm making a list of the top 100 players in franchise history, I'm at least waiting until these players that are currently on the roster are done playing. Um, obviously, no one's going to argue that, that Cleo Mack isn't a generational talent. He's probably going to go on to have a couple more monster years for the Bears and will eventually deserve a spot on this list. But, I mean, as high as number 60 – after playing just 14 games, I I couldn't really figure that out. Yeah, you know I don't know, man. Again, it's it's tough because I think lists like that, it's kind of like it's kind of like draft grades. You know, it's one of those things where they don't mean anything because it lacks every bit of context context possible. And while it's a good conversational piece and it's cool to look at and you know cool to talk about and all that stuff, it's just you, you can. It seems like you can make an argument for almost anybody. Uh, being in X amount of position or whatever it is, you know, it's just one of those situations where I don't think there's really, it's kind of a lose-lose proposition. You know, you make it, you got the generational gaps there. You've got current players that, you know, like you pointed out with Mac have played 14 games. You got guys like Eddie Jackson who, you know, he had a pretty solid rookie year, but he was really good last year. You know, it's just one of those things like you could look back at this list a few years from now on some of these guys that were listed and wonder why were, you know, why were these guys on here and why were other guys not, you know, it's just, I, I think I agree with, you know, unless they're very well established within their careers, Bears careers, then it doesn't really make much sense for them to be on the list. And with that, uh, let's go into EOTAs this week. Um, the Bears held their rookie minicamp right after the draft. Um, they got a little bit of a break and then right back into it this week. Um, the Bears hosted oh, the Bears hosted their first OTA sessions um, this week at Hallis Hall. Monday was kind of a casual day. Uh, it was more of a fun day. We'll get into a little bit of that later. Um, Tuesday was an actual practice. Wednesday was a practice, which was open to the media. Three downs, seven more to go over the next couple of weeks. And then it's off Bourbon A for training camp pretty much at the end of July, early August. Um, you know, I was there at, at the media day on Wednesday. And right away, the two biggest things that we were kind of alerted to, and um, I know you heard this, was – Riley Soul is now moved from an offensive tackle to a tight end. Taquan Mazzello has moved from a wide receiver or from a running back to a wide receiver. Both switched their numbers and also another minor number change. Undrafted rookie Emmanuel Hall switched his number to, uh, I believe it was 85 to number six, or number nine. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, actually, I got the list right here. He is now number, oh, where is he? Um, number six, sorry. Um, so right away when you heard that, Aaron, what did you think of the position changes for both uh, Soul and Mazel? Well, I mean, the, the first thing that pops up, especially with Bradley Soul, is that obviously they've got a new swing tackle, and I'm pretty sure they're putting all their eggs in the Rashad Tower basket at this point. So 
it's definitely a little bit of a gamble, but I think they really like Howard, and I think they really like the way he's developed, so it definitely makes sense, and obviously that pretty much slots him in. He's going to be one of those guys that could probably play guard or tackle uh, at this point, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised at all to see him end up sticking around on the roster and maybe get some chances to start later on down the line, whether that be on the interior or you know out of tackle. Uh, and maybe stick around for a while. I think he's got two more years of control, maybe three. I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank on that right now. But the, the the so you know that one was kind of interesting, just because I think they're they're wanting more from their wide tight end position. And then I think with Taquan Mizell, I mean, if we're being completely honest, I don't think it matters. I mean, the dude's not making the roster. I, I just don't. I don't see any way that he's making the roster. I mean, you. He was not good at running back last year. You've got a stacked amount of receivers. I mean, there's multiple guys that would easily make the team in years past that aren't even going to make the team this year. Uh, So I think Mizell kind of – I don't think that benefits him in any way, shape, or form. So, I mean, again, it is what it is. I think it definitely helps Kareth White out because now you pretty much have – assuming you take four running backs into the season with you, you've got your top three guys, and then Kareth White and Ryan Nall will be battling out for that final position. But – I, th- I, I would like to think right now that that would definitely benefit uh, White in a big way, especially with him being a draft pick, but we'll see. But, I mean, overall, uh, you're, you're talking about two guys that, I mean, with Soul, I mean, we barely saw him last year, and usually when we did, it was like as an extra blocker or like gimmicky plays, obviously caught that touchdown pass on the Santa Slay play. Um, but, I mean, I, I think when you're looking at these, this is kind of more bottom of the roster kind of stuff. And even if Sowell ends up making a team as a tight end, I don't think you're going to see him on the field too much anyway, maybe more in blocking situations. And maybe he'll catch a few passes. But I think I think this is more a non-issue than anything else at this point. Yeah, um, I looked it up. Coward does have one more year of uh, team control, I believe, according to um, Over the Cap. Yeah, I'm with you on that as well. I don't think uh, Bradley Soul is going to play that big of a factor. Obviously, the Bears did want more help at the wide tight end spot. Um, he was out there running routes. He was out there catching passes during the um, OTA media session, and he he didn't look awful for a guy that's kind of transitioning and making the position or making the position change. Um, he had a nice one-handed grab down the sideline, um, like on an out route during drills. Other than that, it was just pretty conventional. You know, they, they threw it to him a couple more times over the middle in, in um, drills. And then I think he had one one or two um, <clears throat> targets in 11 on 11 or 7 on 7. So it was nothing like, oh, the Bears have found a, a hidden gem at the tight end position. They're still going to need a lot more out of Adam Shaheen. That's going to be the bottom line for the tight end position, you know, moving forward. As for Mazel, I agree 100% with you. I don't think this helps his case at all. I just think this signals, hey, you probably weren't going to make it here as a running back when we brought in David Montgomery and Kareth White. Um, they like what they've seen from Ryan Nall, obviously, to keep him around on the practice squad last year, and now he's still back with the team. For Mazel, it's you know he goes from a position that had a lot of depth to a position that has even more depth at it in wide receiver. And it's going to take probably a combination of a few injuries and a miracle OTA training camp preseason for him to crack this 53-man roster. I'm with you there. I know a lot of the readers on our message board, a lot of our listeners, people on Twitter, are ready for this bizarre experiment to end. Um, I think they're going to get their wish with with this going in, you know, roster cuts um, trimmed down to the 53-man roster. I was just the talent they have on wide receiver. I don't think there's any shot that he um, he makes this roster. Um, the other big thing 
on Wednesday that was kind of released um, after practice when Matt Nagy was asked about it. And we heard about this in the offseason at the owners' meetings and kind of the rumors that the Bears were thinking of a position change, um, swapping Cody Whitehair and James Daniels. It happened Wednesday. Um, James Daniels was working as a center um, for pretty much majority of practice. Uh, Cody Whitehair was then shifted into the left guard spot. Um, to me, I see this as as an upgrade. Um, you know, Daniels played guard last season while Whitehair was the center. Whitehair has been the center for almost all of his Bears career. Um, but the natural position is for Daniels to move to center and be a center in this league. Um, do you? I mean. I don't really see this being that – I mean, I see it being a big deal because they're switching positions, obviously. I don't see it being the difference in this line being really bad or good or average or really great. Well, I think – I don't know. I mean, we, we we talked about this last year, I think, right? Did we talk about this last year? Maybe I just talked about it on we, Twitter. Talked to, maybe we talked about it on Twitter. I can't remember. but We might have talked about it. Okay, it yeah. might have been both, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. But I think – yeah, no, because we did because I think uh, – because uh, we were doing, weren't we doing these? Were we doing the podcast during training camp last year? Um, you and I did not. That was when Jeremy was still back. What about the beginning of this season? I thought we. Yeah, we did. Uh, we we restarted the podcast. Let's uh, say it was like week four or five. Well, either way, I mean, it was one of those situations, at least for me, and I think you share the same thoughts that even last year it was like I understand that you're in the first year of a new offensive system. You want a guy that Trubisky's worked with. But, I mean, Cody Whitehair struggled with snaps at the beginning of the year, you know, in preseason and all that stuff. And I thought they should have made the move then. I thought it was somewhat weird that they deemed Daniels not ready to go. And then he comes in and he played pretty damn good when he when he finally started. But I think it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, James Daniels is a natu- natural center. Uh, Cody Whitehair is probably more of a natural guard than he is a, a natural center. I mean, he's consistently struggled with snaps over the last few years. Uh, but I think it makes a lot of sense. What I am curious about, though, is that I think one, well, and I could be wrong on this, but it's like they're in the process of negotiating a contract for Whitehair right now. And when you look at the market value uh, between center and guard, I mean, guards about a million, million and a half more. I mean, yeah, it's not that much money, but I mean, if you're talking four or five year extension. I mean, you're talking, you know, anywhere from five to eight million dollars extra if you're going on market value. So that's going to be somewhat interesting. I mean, obviously, they know that they're going to get something done with them. We've we've heard it multiple times that, you know, something will end up getting done probably in the middle of, uh, you know, training camp preseason again. I mean, that's just usually how Ryan Pace does things. But you kind of have to wonder if it was a smart move to do this while they're in the middle of contract negotiations, knowing that it could bump his price up. I mean, it's again, it's not a huge deal, but at the same time, it's a situation where, I mean, you're not exactly helping yourself for a team that's probably going to be tied against the cap the next few years. That's a good point and another interesting way to look at it. Um, what I would say to that is, do you think maybe there's a possibility they've, you know, they've been in negotiations, um, but they've told them, okay, we're going to pay you you know, uh, we're going to give you market value, and this is kind of before he made the switch to guard, but maybe kind of hinted at, look, you know, we might not give you the full, we might pay you as a center. I mean, it's possible. I'm sure, I'm sure that it wasn't just as simple as, you know, they, they were negotiating, then all of a sudden they decided to move him to guard now, negotiating over. I'm sure it's nothing like that, but it's just, 
I think it's interesting when you when you're talking about the positional values as a whole because I mean guards are making more and more now uh, and centers I mean centers make a decent amount of money but I mean tackle and guard are getting very close together in terms of what free agents are getting when they hit the market. And if you look at the Bears roster to that point, I mean they have pretty good deals on their tackles with Bobby Massey and Charles Leno, very team friendly deals and Kyle Long, you know restructures contract a little bit this off season. Um, you have James Daniels on the rookie contract. So the only one you're kind of worried about is Cody White here. Um, you know, the Bears are in kind of a weird cap situation where, you know, they're going to have to start paying a lot of players, some big money soon. But, I mean, having one guy that you have to worry about in the offensive line, I will take that rather than having to rebuild, you know, your offensive line consistently due to bad contracts. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, the reality is pretty simple at this point. Unless Kyle Long comes out and has a fantastic year, pretty good chance he's either going to take a massive pay cut next year to stick around or he's not going to be around next year. I think I think we're we're quickly approaching the end of the Kyle Long era at this point. It's just one of those situations. I mean, that alone will clear up space cuz I think I think he's set to make I want to say it's like close to 10 million next year or something something like that and they could save a pretty good amount of that. So it you know, it is what it is. It'll all work itself out, but it's definitely – it'll be interesting to see because, I mean, interior linemen are usually easier to find, especially within the draft, free agency, value signings. I mean, we've seen the Bears pull all sorts of guys out of nowhere. You know, they traded down twice and still landed Cody White here. They originally wanted Jason Spriggs, you know what I mean? Like, it, there's there's multiple ways that you can find interior linemen, and, you know, they have obviously Rashad Coward as well. Um, they have uh, Alex Bars as well. So, I mean, they're going to have some guys that they can kind of sit back and develop a little bit this year and see where they're at. So, yeah, I'm not too worried about it overall. I think as long as you keep two of those five guys on rookie deals and, and by that time, you know, either Massey or Leno or maybe both will be getting, you know, the beginning towards the end of their contracts and maybe towards the end of their careers, especially Massey. So, I think they can keep it the way that they have it right now, um, but it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. That's kind of one of the things I'm curious to see. I mean, obviously, I think the deal will get done with white hair, uh, but I am curious if this impacts negotiations at all or if this really just isn't that big of a deal because they you know, plan on moving them back and forth. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I, it's going to be interesting to hear, and I, I expect you know we'll probably hear the contract – you know, the Bears have kind of reached an extension with Cody White here, probably training camp. Like you said, Ryan Pace tends to do that reward his own players um, before the season starts. Let's hit um, another break, and then we'll talk a little bit more about OTAs and uh, kind of wrap things up with a little bit of what I saw and thoughts on there. We'll be right back after this break. And welcome back into the Bear Report podcast. We are still discussing – the Bears OTAs from this week, uh, the media was there on Wednesday. We got our first chance to look at this this full team, almost full team. There were some absences um, out there um, during that practice. But, Aaron, uh, what I saw, and we got, you know, Monday the Bears kind of held one of those days where it was, okay, show up, let's do this practice thing. But it was more of a fun environment. They held like bat races, dizzy bat races. I think it was, um, they had like who could punt the football the furthest. Um, if anyone could eat the six, you know, saltine crackers, that little challenge thing. And then they ended it with a pizza party and a dodgeball tournament. What Matt Nagy's done with this franchise in his first year, now going into his second year, kind of completely changing the culture 
it's very noticeable now. It's things like this that, like, yeah, maybe like the national media and like fans that you know aren't Bear, people that aren't Bears fans kind of brush this aside, like, oh, okay, no big deal. But you know, as for us Bears fans and, and the people that cover the team, this stuff doesn't go unnoticed. This is the type of stuff where this is how you win a team over. You know, you have kind of friendly competition with a dodgeball tournament. And Nagy spoke about this after the practice Wednesday. He said he had guys. You know, once they found out, you know, they didn't do well in the obstacle course, they weren't going to be able to play in the dodgeball tournament, that they were just begging to, hey, can we do something else? Can we do something else to get into this dodgeball tournament? And it's not just only about dodgeball. It's kind of just like the team bonding and building. Um, and then, you know, it was also – we also found out that a couple of the players went and had a paintball tournament um, either earlier or I think it's probably after practice um, on Monday – but just kind of this team bond and chemistry that's going on with this culture, it's just starting to feel like there's something special going on. Well, and that's kind of, I mean, we're, uh, maybe go back to, you know, our talks earlier about how, you know, a lot of the, the a lot of the national guys, a lot of out-of-town people right now are seem to be down on the Bears. But it's like, I, I get it. Okay, you know, obviously Trubisky got to take the next step. I mean, that's the biggest key. And then obviously health is going to be a big key as well, the strength of schedule being – Harder on paper could be a factor, although I think that's overblown every single year. But the the fact is, is they've got a very good roster. Um, I think that there's an argument that they I would say that they're they have maintained like if you're looking at their overall roster, I'd say they've at least maintained their talent level, if not gotten a little bit better. And that's without any more development, anything like that. But I think when you're when you're really looking at this, I mean, yeah, it's a good point because there was multiple players this past year who said that they came to the Bears free agents. I came to the Bears because they wanted to play with the Bears. Ha ha Clinton Dix being one of them. I mean, he talked about it. And it's one of those situations where the more that you allow guys to have fun, the more that you do stuff like this, and as long as you win, I mean, it's just going to keep getting better and better, and it's going to keep it's going to make it to where players want to stick around. And obviously, that didn't happen this year with Callahan and Amos, but down the line, it could be a situation where maybe they have those role players. You know, you look at what the Patriots have done over the years, where a lot of these guys will take much less money or a different type of contract to stick around, and that's something that you can see the Bears do over the next few years. I mean, it's just. It's one of those situations, this is the best that we've seen, the Bears locker room, the Bears culture, everything about this franchise in a long, long time. Yeah, and, you know, you kind of look, I mean, we're only, what, about five years removed now from the Bears losing to the Dolphins at home at Soldier Field and Brandon Marshall getting into a screaming match with Robbie Gold um, in the locker room. Just how it's, you know, in the whole those during the trust era and the whole John Fox era, it's just been so refreshing to have this kind of environment and atmosphere with the players. And they, you know, they all get along, they're doing cookouts, they're hanging out, they're, you know, taking photos, posting on Instagram, going to the bears care gala together, joking around. Um, it's just, it's just very refreshing to see. And, and I ha- I'm put in a request for uh, Bilal Nichols to talk to after OTAs and he had, some really good quotes. The one, one of them that really stood out to me, though, I'm going to read it off to you. I tweeted it out today. Um, I asked him kind of about this culture that Matt Nagy's kind of built. Um, and his answer was pretty pretty damn good. It's He's quoted as, it's funny. I was just talking to Akeem Hicks about this the other day. Last year was literally the most fun I ever had playing football. Last year was just so much fun, how tight this team was, the activities we would do with each other every week, and we had so much fun with each other, and we were so tight. I feel as though that's why we were able to make that push that we made because of the chemistry that we had. And, yes, it does also help that 
the Bears were a good team and they were winning and that helps brighten the mood because obviously if you're losing, you know, no, you know, people sometimes don't want to be in the building. They don't want to put in that extra work. But to hear a guy in his rookie season say that was the most fun he's ever had playing football, any level of football, peewee, middle school, high school, college, that's just that that's very damn impressive. Yeah, well, and he's not the only player to say that. I mean, there's been multiple players who have come out and said that. I mean, last year as well, where they said this is the most fun they've had playing football. And and I think that's a big thing because the the higher the spirits are, and we, we, we saw this last year with a young team. I mean, the Bears are a young team. They had a first-year head coach. They had a lot of new faces in the building, and they were 3-1. and one. They come out of their bye. They lose two games in a row. Usually, most young teams would fall apart, and that would be the end of it. After that point, the Bears lost one game in their final 10 games. They were 9-1 and one in their final 10 games. And I think that alone just spoke to the amount of respect that Matt Nagy has, the amount of control and accountability that he has within the locker room. And it also speaks to how mentally strong the players are. And, I mean, obviously we all know this. I mean, a lot of these guys believe that they still should have been in the playoffs after the, you know, after the Philadelphia game. And I think that's – that's definitely a driving force behind a lot of these guys. And I mean, again, I, at least on paper, I would say that they are at least the same, if not a little bit better on paper again, you know, than they were last year. And honestly, I mean, if, if Trubisky takes a step and they, if they maintain the same level that they had last year, but Trubisky takes the next step forward, I don't really see how they're going to, you know, I, I don't see how one, they're going to miss the playoffs and two, how they wouldn't be, you know, the favorites in the NFC. I still look at them as the favorites in the NFC. I know a lot of people are kind of looking and thinking, well, they may take a step back. They may not win vision. What about Minnesota? What about Green Bay? I still think the Bears have the best, the best team in the NFC North. And I honestly think there's a very, very good argument for them being the best team in the NFC. And it's because of little things like this. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you may not be able to quantify on paper, but this is something that could be a big factor down the line. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I tend to agree. I think the Bears are either the you know at the same point. I don't think they got worse this year, even with the two departures of Adrian Amos and Bryce Callahan. I I think they're very talented on defense still, and it's going to be up to Trubisky taking the next step. Speaking of the defense, though, um, we got to talk to Chalk Pagano for the first time since he was introduced as Bears um, defensive coordinator. Ooh, I almost said head coach there for a second. I almost gave everyone a big scare. Um, yeah, and he was pretty much asked, you know, you know, at this point right now in these OTAs, what this is is just kind of throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing what works, seeing what sticks. Um, you know, something does not work and no one's comfortable with it, throwing it out of the playbook. And he was also asked about, you know, are you going to use some stuff that Vic used here? Are you going to keep some of the stuff the same? For the most part, he said, yeah, we're going to keep some of the stuff the same. Some of the terminology is going to be the same. Um, him and Vic have, you know, have coaching experience together um, before with their time in Baltimore. But it's not going to be all of Vic's system. Obviously, Chuck's going to have his system kind of worked in. And what I took away from that, well, he didn't flat out say it or give out many hints. But what I took away from that was you're going to see a mixture of both. I think you're going to see Pagano be a little more aggressive with the secondary this year than Vic was. And maybe a little more aggressive with the blitzing. But for the most part, they're going to try and roll out something similar to what they did last season and and what worked. Um, he used the terminology, you know, we're not we're not going to try and jam a square peg into a round hole. Um, they're going to kind of do what they feel is best for this defense, whether that is use some of what Vic did last year as a carryover um, while implementing what Pagano did, or kind of mixing it up and taking it maybe 
game by game scheme. Um, I yeah, I just I I I don't know just yet exactly what this is going to be because it is first week OTAs. That's just my best guess, but I just kind of have a feeling it's be a little mixture of both. I, I think that's safe to say. I think a lot of people look at what Chuck Pagano's defenses did in Indy when he was in Indy, and they want to judge off of that. But it's like they, but they completely ignore what he did with the Baltimore secondary, what he did with the Baltimore defense when he took over as a DC before he got the Colts job. And, and that's the thing, like you can give, like okay, James Betcher is a prime example with the Giants, right? You can give a very good defensive coordinator, bad talent, and usually the results aren't going to be very good. And that's exactly what happened in Indianapolis with Pagano. He was the head coach, by the way. He wasn't even the defensive coordinator. But you give him the amount of talent or close to the amount of talent that he had with Baltimore, and you're probably going to get pretty good results. I think unless you have an absolute idiot in there as a defensive coordinator, and I definitely don't think Pagano is that, then I, I don't see a way that the Bears are just randomly going to fall off going from you know the, the best defense in the league to – you know, middle of the pack or worse. I just don't see that as a possibility. I think there could be a slight, you know, a slight fall off just because defenses on a year to year basis are a little bit more unpredictable than offenses, at least historically speaking, when you look at statistics and output. But at the same time, I still think that the Bears are going to have a top five defense this year. I don't think there's going to be a big drop off. And again, like you pointed out, there's going to be some differences. I would, I would guess at least my guess would be some of the differences would be obviously being more aggressive. I think he's going to rush guys from multiple spots. You're going to see multiple players on the defense rushing the passer. Uh, I think that just the overall way that they play is going to be slightly different, but I think a lot of things, and I think, you know, I think some of the things are going to be the same, like Chuck Pagano likes to play a lot more man and press than, than uh, Fangio did. Fangio liked to play a lot more zone. And I think that with the corners that the Bears have and with with their safety duo uh, being, I'd say, questionable with tackling, I think that they would be best off playing most in zone. And I think that's going to be one of those things where they're going to look at it and say, okay, you know, we're probably going to play more zone because this is what we're, what we're best suited for. And I think that's kind of where the whole square peg and round hole thing comes from. You know, you have to do with what you have with your personnel. You have a really good defense. It's not like the offense. It's not it's not like when, when Nagy comes in and everything's completely different. They add a bunch of pieces, and all of a sudden Jordan Howard doesn't work for the offense. I get that he was good before, but you're talking about the one good player on the offense or you know one of a few good players on the offense that didn't work because of the scheme versus a defense who had multiple pro bowlers, had a few all-pro guys. I mean, th- this is a very established unit, so it's a, it's a different situation, I think, when you look at it, you have an established unit with the defense, and I think you want to keep that pretty much the same. Obviously, everybody's going to be a little bit different within what they're doing stylistically, but I think the overall defense is probably not going to change too much. Like I said, I think you may see a little bit more aggression. I think you're going to see a little bit more creative uh, pass rush, but I think in terms of coverage, you may see a little bit more man, but I'm not expecting a heavy man like he, like he used to do in, in Baltimore by any means. And to that point, I mean, this defense is still very talented. I mean, when you have guys like Cleo Mack and Leonard Floyd, Danny Trevathan, Roquan Smith, um, Akeem Hicks, Blow Nichols, Eddie Goldman, it's just your front seven. And then you have a secondary that's gone out there and, and been, you know, they were very aggressive last year and it paid off and they were able to force takeaways and it kind of just became contagious, contagious for them to force takeaways on for opposing offenses. You know, there's, there's still a lot of talent. And, and you and I did this exercise before. You take away Bryce Callahan and Adrian Amos from this team. List out all those players that we just that I just went over. Um, you know, our, the starters plus we'll say Blau Nichols. 
you know, Amos and Callahan are probably towards the bottom of that list. They were they were for you and I, and I know we agreed on that. I I just think you know it's gonna you should expect some natural regression, which you know could be going from number one to number three or four or five or six. I would still take that as long if this defense is a top ten defense and the offense takes that next step next year. I think the Bears are in really good shape. Um, to back back to the point of Pagano still working in the system. Yeah, it's it's still the first week of OTAs. I, I imagine next week we'll have a little more, some clear stuff on it. Um, and then by, by the time we get to training camp and through training camp, it'll obviously all be figured out, and we'll get a way better idea of of what to expect. Um, to kind of close off this podcast though with the OTAs, um, I kind of wanted to go over some of the stuff I did see um, that I can mention. You know, we can't really say everything from OTAs due to media restrictions. Um, if I had, you know, if I had to pick out a standout from day one of the first media session on offense, I would go with Riley Ridley. Um, I thought he had a nice day overall. He did work on, um, fellow rookie Duke, um, Duke Shelley and got the best of him and second year defensive back Kevin Tolliver. I uh, did make receptions over both players also had a deep route. I believe. Yeah. He had a deep route over, um, a fellow rookie, Shelley, and the ball was a little overthrown by Trubisky. Would have been a big reception. Um, I did like what I saw, actually, from uh, Steven Denmark, the uh, safety defensive back that they drafted in the seventh round. I personally didn't think he was super impressive in the rookie minicamps. I didn't really have him as one of my big performers. But he had a route where – he had a play where he was matched up against uh, Cordero Patterson, who was lightning fast, and he stayed with him step for step and broke up the pass down the sidelines. I thought that was pretty impressive. Um, another play uh, – Leonard Floyd was actually step for step with Tariq Cohen on a play down the sideline, and the ball was incomplete. Uh, I thought Mitch had a decent day. I didn't think he was anything special, anything to really write home about and say, oh, he was so great. He did have two throws I really didn't like, and it, it and it kind of went back to his tendencies last year. Um, he did make a really good throw on the sideline, rolling out just a dime pass right on the money to Taylor Gabriel. But the two throws I really didn't like, he had one was off his back foot down the sideline, and one was into double coverage down the sideline. And to me, that's, those are the things I think Mitch – you know, really needs to work on with that footwork to become that better quarterback at the next level. Yes, it is OTAs. Um, it's still early. Just two throws I really didn't like. I just wanted to throw away from him. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, really, I mean, Trubisky's the key to all of this. I mean, if he if he takes a sizable step forward, then the Bears are in good shape. The offense is going to take a step forward. And, I mean, historically speaking, Andy Reid, offenses take a big step from year one to year two and usually those quarterbacks do as well so I mean you know as people listen to this I'm sure you know some people may be freaking out a little bit but it's it's OTAs this is the first time that they've actually been out been able to go on the field and do anything together whatsoever it's going to take a little bit of time if Trubisky's still doing this and and training camp preseason maybe it's a little bit of a concern but I think at this point you know it's just it's going to take a little bit of time. And I think the one thing to note here, too, is that Matt Nagy seemed very, very positive, very confident in the fact that Trubisky is taking those steps. And he said, you know, they're clearly in the year two and he's right on expectations. He's right on target for where he expected him to be. And he's got more weapons now. There's another year in the offense for the you know the majority of his targets and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's it, it should be the arrow should be pointing up for sure, but it's definitely going to be interesting, uh, especially over the next few weeks. Cause we got what there's OTAs next week, OTAs the following week. And then they have what a three day mini cam too, right? 
Yeah, yep. Um, and then it's off to um, training camp in Bourbonnais at the end of – should be the end of July, early August. Um, yeah, so they'll have, they'll have some more practices, some OTAs, voluntary stuff, um, or mandatory stuff, and then, yeah, they'll have uh, training camp. And yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not really a reason to, to be concerned. Just because I said he had two bad throws, I don't want anyone to freak out like, oh, man, he's not taking the next step. It's OTAs. Yeah, they're playing. They're not – I. To me, I'm not saying that like they're not out there trying or anything, but it's not 100%. It's not game practice, week of practice. You know, you'll see more in a week of practice before the game than you will during these OTA sessions. Which, I mean, I'm completely fine with because we've already seen Ruben Foster tear his ACL. We've seen a few other players get hurt. I think Joey Bosa already, or not Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa already strained his strained his hamstring. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that you can get out of. If you can get out of this OTA session, uh, you know, and then the mini camp at the in the middle of June, if you can get out of that without any serious injuries and all that stuff, and and these guys are understanding what they need to understand, I think you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, I agree with that. You just you you know you don't want that that one injury that really impacts your team this early on. I mean, I look at this way: you you survive these stages, you survive training camp preseason there's three stages of the big injury you want to survive um those are it and then you go into the regular season and, and you just play it out um but yeah we'll be back next week we'll have i'll be at otas again i believe it's wednesday so we'll have more in the media we'll actually get to hear from trubisky um and offensive coordinator mark helfrick as well as matt nagy and i think we get some of the offensive assistants next week plus some of the players we'll be able to pull off um off the field so we'll have a lot more um going on we'll be back with a new episode um thanks everyone for listening aaron where can they follow you on twitter at yeah you can find me at aaron lemming nfl you can find me at at zach z-a-c-k underscore pearson i should learn how to spell my own name um you can read both of our work on the bear report we'll be back next week with a brand new podcast episode uh breaking more down on the otas and uh what we've learned from that week until then uh please rate review subscribe to this podcast on all major podcasting platforms and we'll see you next week Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.